Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Preview Show. My name is Carl Birmage, and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Vic Reeves to buy Bob Mortimer. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this because I always love doing the preview shows. And hopefully as well, you will be able to see us in much better quality because uh, we checked out the 277 preview show and... The frame rate just went absolutely nosedived by about the 20th minute and it just turned into a situation where it was like five pixels a minute or something like that. So we do want to apologize for that regard. Uh, we have made some tweaks to OBS, some of the frame rate issues. So hopefully you'll be able to see us in the best quality possible for a good hour, hour 30. We don't know how much longer we're going to be going for, Joe. Yeah, there's... We, I mean, there's got a lot we can talk about, but uh, I won't ramble as much as I normally do, so we'll be good. All those Harry Hunsucker fans need us to talk about his moment in the spotlight. Oh, absolutely. We're getting to those 10 guys. Yeah. So, obviously, the most people who follow the show will know the format, so we'll talk about the prelims and then discuss all five fights on the main card. And if you would like to get in touch with us on anything outside of the YouTube channel, we've got an Instagram page, Twitter at INCageFighting. And if you love us enough that you want to donate some money so we can improve this equipment even further, we've got a Patreon page as well, patreon.com forward slash it's not cagefighting. And if you want to know what Joe's getting up to, Joe, where is the best place to contact you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at LocoJo7. Uh, I did have plans to start streaming on Twitch soon, but I yeah, haven't gotten around to that lately. So just just Twitter's perfect. You can sort of like become the uh, the V1 of the uh, OSW group, as it were, twitching and streaming for us. That's funny enough. That's actually where I was like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, huh? Like I should do that again because I used to, but not anymore. Yeah. Um, so uh, before we actually get talking about USC 278, we'll discuss some of the stories which are happening in the world of mixed martial arts. And since you last joined us three weeks ago, there's a pretty big main event which is taking place over in November. A lot of people expected this one to be announced. It was confirmed. Israel Adesanya will defend his middleweight title at Madison Square Garden. And as many people expected, it will be against Alex Pereira. Now, I saw a lot of people really excited for this fight, and for good reason as well. It's going to be a stand-up battle. You've got the built-in storyline. You've got Pereira, who's just been steamrolling through everyone, just this brutal one-shot power. That being said, why is it that I'm maybe not as excited as what the general public is? Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on this. Uh, he has just jumped so many people in line for for a shot without like i mean sean strickland is a quality opponent and a true contender i felt like at the time um to you know in the in the division but it's kind of awkward when you, you fight a guy i I, for, I i feel bad but i actually forget his debut opponent then it was bruno silva and then it was uh you know sean strickland as i said and it's like ah i feel like that's not the murderer's row that you could take to a title shot. Like, obviously, a lot of people jumped the hoops. You know, uh, Brock Lesnar got a title shot off beating Keith Haring back in the day. But, and, and, and it's like, oh, we're, we're helping Izzy here. You know, we try to get his revenge in a sense. And we have the storyline. It's easy to book and push. But it's still, it, it's not great booking in terms of, like, fight-making quality. And, and I want to stress as well, like, Going into 276, I was always of the belief Sean Strickland should be fighting the winner of Adesanya versus Kananir. Uh, 
So Pereira knocks out Strickland. He jumps to kills. I get that. And I yeah. don't have an issue with that. But I'm in the same boat as you. I think the fast tracking, and I understand why the UFC are doing it for the business and the marketing reasons. The fast tracking just doesn't sit well with me. And I think, I think part of the reason is that we still don't really know all that much about Alex Pereira. Like you mentioned before when you did one of your retro reviews, Connor had a lot of criticism before the Mendes fight that he was always ducking wrestlers. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until the Chad Mendes fight that people thought, you know what, Conor McGregor is the real deal. Like, let's say if you'd put Pereira up against Derek Brunson and he stopped three or four takedowns and then knocked him out, I'd be a lot more on board. Yeah, it, it, that's like a fear I have is like, what if he beats Izzy? He beats him so bad that there is no rematch. Because I, I know a lot of people will go, if the champ loses, there should be a rematch right after when that isn't the case. Like, if, if someone steamrolls the champ, then there's no argument for it. Uh, but let, let's say Pejeda does, and they give him, like, Robert Whitaker, who is a very good wrestler. He takes him down and wears him out. Derek Brunson takes him down, wears him out. Marvin um, Vittori. Marvin Vittori. Uh, and I was, I was, Kelvin Gastelum somehow gets in, gets back into that mix, and he's a great wrestler. Takes him down, wears him out. Like, that, that's just, like, a lot of potential for him just to drop the belt on the first title defense if they don't... You know, like, are we? Do we have to protect him with matchmaking as the champion if he wins now? Like, uh, what, I, it's so awkward to me. It's going to do well, though. It's a, in terms of business, it's going to be a big main event, and I think one worthy of MSJ. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't remember what the rest of the card is, and I hope they fill it out. Unlike that Hamzat DS card, which isn't quite filled out, but uh, you know, it's it's a great main event and one I'm excited for, yeah. admittingly still. And another main event we could well be seeing is the month after in December. Now, this is not being confirmed. These are all rumors and speculation. You mentioned before about the trend towards immediate rematches. We could very well be getting one. Glover Toshiva and Yuri Prohaska 2, potentially at UFC 282. I'm beyond hyped for that one. Uh, I, that, that's, that's my fight of the year currently, is uh, Yuri Glover 1. It, it, it felt like... I described it to my casual fans who like anime. I said, it's like an anime. Like, they just kept powering up and beating the other one again, like, over and over. Um, it was it was insane. And as much as I think Jan still kind of deserves it, maybe, the title shot, or Ankalaev now has a case for it, I think. I, I still think this is the fight to make. I, something feels right about that to me. Yes, I mean, especially when you look at the judges' scorecards and you saw the Glover was like 30 seconds away from retaining the belt. So you've got that element to it as well. I mean, from a sort of like, when you look at the perspective of like Blahovitz and Ankolaev, you do maybe think to yourself, is it, is it fair for Glover to get an immediate rematch when he lost the belt on his first offense? But the quality of the match itself, I can see both arguments. The, the big thing for me too is, uh, this is what kind of stops it, is... I thought Jan did very well against Rakic, but the fight had two more rounds to go. I didn't think he was anywhere close to knocking him out or finishing him. And it was a, a lay injury from checked kicks and stuff. And I, I don't know. It, it wasn't the most definitive win. And I think that's why I go, ah, maybe it's time for a rematch. Maybe that's why the rematch feels better in my head than just going Jan, you know. Like, it's weird. If, if Jan would have went to decision the way that fight was going and he won, 
then I would have been like, yeah, maybe yawn. You know, I, I could see myself thinking that. But because it's an injury, I think I want to see another yawn fight before I say, yeah, it's time for him. So that's what we can look forward to in the winter. We'll turn our attention to what's happening next week, though. UFC 278. And for the only the second time in UFC history, we are going to Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, I've been doing a bit of research here. Do you want to know what the first UFC event was that took place in Salt Lake? Let's see if you remember this one. Um, for some reason, my mind says it's a single-digit one, but I don't think so. It, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's between UFC 20 and 40. I, I For some reason, I, it, it has to be one of the earlier ones in my it, mind. It was actually a UFC fight night in 2016. It was Yair Rodriguez and Alex Caceres. Oh, well, I was way off. Uh, completely two errors away, if not three. <laughs> wow. First pay-per-view there for him. So there you go, Alex Caceres in his first and only UFC main event. I was actually thinking about doing a video, you know, over the next couple of months, um, looking at sort of like obscure UFC main eventers, and Alex would be probably be on there. Oh, yeah. He's also boy-worthy, I think, Caceres. I love him. I love Alex Caceres. <laughs> yeah, he's a boy stable and for someone. Yep. Let's see if there are any boy stable contenders on the ESPN prelims. You can see those on our screen right now. And most of the time when it comes to the prelims, you can easily identify, oh, this guy's a future prospect, and this is going to be a barn burner. It's a little bit harder when it comes to this card, and this is no disrespect to some of the fighters who are on there. There are, though, uh, you were talking about this before the show, there are two names that stand out for you as potential to watch out for. Yeah, the two I have is Miranda Maverick, uh, because I, I think she's I think she's really good. And I think the fact that, uh, you know, Aaron Blanchfield beat her so well just makes her look better. But at the same time, that's the only fight where, in my opinion, I've seen her. Oh, excuse me. I've seen her lose. And I, I thought she won the Macy Barber fight, which hurts saying I'm a Macy Barber fan. Uh, but she I think she's looked incredible. And Sean Woodson, I've been dying to see fights since november i find sean woodson a, a really strange situation here because we've got a guy who's nine and one and i find it interesting to see the sort of lack of hype around him because obviously you you're on twitter for a good amount of time you'll see terence mckinney and you'll see him like he, he talks a great fight i will say that about terence yeah. and he's got a ton of hype surrounding him but people forget sean woodson knocked terence mckinney out on the contender series the flying knee in the first round, like I think it was like within a, a minute, a minute and a half, it was quick. He blasted him. And yet we're not seeing that same sort of buzz in the same way that people are about McKinney. Yeah. He, he, another thing too is like he has such an unusual frame and build for featherweight. He's built like Nate, like Nate Diaz. Like he's super long and lanky and very tall. And he's a featherweight. Like, I think he's like the tallest featherweight I've ever seen. He looked like a monster in there to an average size featherweight. Um, he's going to be taking on Luis Saldana, who's 16 and 7 in the UFC. Do you see uh, Saldana posing any kind of threat? I never say never. Uh, I mean, Sean Woodson is 9 and 1. That, that the experience isn't there in terms of like, so experience could definitely. Uh, play a big factor here. But I think Woodson has it. Uh, I think that they're wanting him to get another win, maybe see how the public reacts to a big one from him again, and you know, maybe try to see what they can go from there. 
who else in particular stands out for you? Because um, obviously you've got uh, Francesco Figueredo, who's uh, the brother of uh, Davison. 13-4 uh, record, he's going to be taking on Amir Albazi. So that could be a fun flyway mm. bout. I'm very interested about the headliner for the ESPN prelims, in particular Leonardo Santos, because this guy's record may be one of the strangest, because he was like unbeaten for like 10 years or something. He's insane. He was uh, a he wasn't a finalist, but I think he lost in the semifinals to Ponzinibbio in one of the tough Brazils. I think it was tough Brazil two, and he he dropped a lightweight, super jujitsu guy, and he has like knockouts, like hard knockouts. He knocked out Kevin Lee when Kevin Lee was making like a big run to prove that he wasn't just a prospect. He KO'd him, and then was out for just back injuries because he just doesn't fight very often. And then he came back, looked all right. Then he had a freak loss in a, cr a crazy finish to the Grant Dawson fight where he gets knocked out at literally 459 of round three. And then Clay Guida submits him. It's like, oh, but that being said, I think he's still awesome. <laughs> I think he's still great. He is in his 40s, but he's still very, very good. And his record is insane because you wouldn't expect a record like that out of him brazilians always seem to do that don't they where they have these guys who were in their sort of like early 40s but still able to be incredibly competitive like trinaldo's the one that comes to mind for me yeah that trinaldo's been around forever i think he's fighting i think he'll be fighting when i'm like in a retirement home you know that guy's gonna be around forever KOing guys uh making dan hardy freak out over a bad herb bean stoppage like that guy's just gonna be around forever you know, I always like my sloppy women's brawls. Uh, is there any sort of potential in Wu Yanan versus Lucy Pudalova? I think you're going to get that uh, sloppy women's brawl, and I think I'm going to watch it and be like, that. it's, it's it, as advertised and you know, not even disappointed. I think it'll be kind of cool. I realize I am, I am becoming the Brian Campbell of this show. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not a bad thing necessarily. <laughs> it's a pretty so good one, honestly. Let us move on to fight number one of our main card, and we go into the light heavyweight division. Now, this was one that really raised a few eyebrows when it was announced here. Uh, Tyson Pedro, the great uh, Australian prospect. Of course, he returned to action after three years away with ACL and knee injuries. And he's going to be taking on a newcomer to the division, which is Javi Hunsucker, 0-2 in the UFC, both by first-round knockout. Now, I want to stress, I don't know Javi Hunsucker personally, I've seen a couple of interviews he's done. He comes across like a decent dude. And I know that if I ever met him on the street, he would kick the living daylight out of me. With that being said, it's safe to say there's more deserving fighters on the UFC roster than him when it comes to a main card. Absolutely. Uh, when I saw this matchmaking, the first thing I thought is, wow, they must really love Tyson Pedro in the back, in the back offices. Um... I mean, I, I, I'm kind of surprised by the matchmaking, why this is the first one, especially when we already have a couple of bigger boys on here. We could use some lighter guys, in my opinion. I, I feel like they, or they could have, I feel like they could have done the Maverick or the Sean Woodson or the Leonardo Santos fight as the opener, but they chose this. So do you think this is maybe the UFC sort of counteracting to the way that they booked Pedro first time around? Because like, I was very high on the Tyson Pedro hype trade. Like, I, it's always been one of those sort of 
guilty tweets that people admit to, I said Tyson Pedro will be a top five light heavyweight. And at 30 years old, he's still got the potential to do that. But you looked at the guys that he was facing in his first run. Like, he was facing some tough opponents. Like, Shogun, when Shogun wasn't 100% washed. Uh, OSP, Ilya Latifi. He was facing some tough guys. And especially against OSP, he looked very good early in that fight. Dropped him. Uh, and then ultimately succumbed to OSP's grappling. I yeah. sort of feel like... Okay, we gave him the really hard stuff. Now we're going to softball him a little bit and try and build him up slowly. I think that's possible. Um, I mean, I thought he looked really good in his last fight. But to be fair, it was against a guy whose only win in the UFC was against someone who never landed a single strike or a significant strike. Um, but, you know, when you look back like pre-injuries, Tyson Pedro kind of had this gimmick of he's going to smash guys and prove he's better and then somehow lose like to Shogun. Like he was beating Shogun the entire fight till he got finished. I thought, and then OSP, he was beating, beating up early, then just couldn't handle the grappling of him kind of gassed out a little bit. Um, I could see them going, okay, there's something, he clearly has something. Let's slow roll him as well. And I think this is a great showcase opponent for him. Cause this is who they used for Taito Ivasa at heavyweight back then. They did, yes, and that was the start of uh, Ty's uh, winning streak, which has obviously taken him to the uh, Civil Garn fight in Paris. Um, what would you say, technically, are the big traits that people look for when it comes to Tyson Pedro? I think his low kicks look really good. Uh, I don't remember them ever looking that good pre-injuries, but his last fight, they were quick. He won the fight with them, which I'm always hot on. I, I love a great low kicker. Uh, but his, his, his hands are pretty solid. He's got a really nasty right hand, if I remember correctly. Um, he kind of, I'm not. Like, he, I would say he doesn't fight like his other country mates, like, uh, like a Mark Hunt or a Tai Tuivasa. He doesn't quite fight like them. Uh, or he, you know, he has the big power and everything like that. But he's not like a lot, not a lot of lunging in left hooks, which is what I associate those two with. Uh, it's a little bit more refined and tighter striking style would be a better word. Uh, but was still being very explosive. And he uh, also, a lot more kicks, I feel like, as well. And he also has a much better submission game. Yes. Yeah, he, he survived Paul Craig on the ground. And that's kind of insane. And I love the transition, because I've been watching... Uh, obviously, I've been watching a lot of these fights to try and build up some sort of portfolio to try and not come across like a blithering idiot on the show. Uh, <laughs> the submission to uh, get Safarov, I thought, very good. Because obviously, they were in the middle of a transition... And then he manages to lock up the Kimura and submits a, a Dagestani wrestler, which no shame in that whatsoever. It's not, you know, it's a big accomplishment tapping any of them out. Those guys are notoriously hard to put away in any kind of grappling exchange. And he, he's he got it. He he has a, a rounded game. I think his like wrestling, if you had to pinpoint like one weakness, it's his wrestling, maybe his durability, but it's also light heavyweight where like, you're only as durable as like time allows you to be. Uh, admittingly, it's not like heavyweight. We're heavyweight. No one's really durable because anyone could put anyone out, um, unless you're in in Ganu, who's insane chin. But um, of Andrei like, who just always points fights you for like the last five seven years. You can't touch his chin if he doesn't let you. You know, I mean, if he if you're clenched up against the cage, you can't land your your haymaker on him. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> So we've given Harry Hunsucker a little bit of ridicule on this show, and we do apologize if Harry is actually watching this or if you are a Harry Hunsucker fan. 
let's look at the positives here. What would you say are his big strengths? Uh, he, I, I want to see what he looks like at the weigh-ins, but I thought he looked like a, he's, he's a shorter dude, but so am I. So I'm not judging. I'm very short, but, uh, he looked like a shorter dude at, at heavyweight. Um, but he had some speed to him. He wasn't as fast as Tai Tuivasa, who's a very fast heavyweight in my opinion, but he, he had a good size to him. Like despite being short, he's very like stout. looks like he has a good center of gravity. If he makes this cut to 205, he very well could actually just outsize and outstrength Pedro, like legitimately. He he was a, a solid size heavyweight, I thought, uh, in terms of like his build and everything like that. So that's definitely a big possibility. His hand speed's the big thing that stood out for me. I was surprised to see how quick he was. Maybe he wasn't the quickest, but there did seem to be this sort of like painting of how he hunts as this joke figure. Ha <laughs> ha! Look at him; he loses all the time. Yeah, no, I did. I, I was actually very impressed by how quick his striking was. Um, I will say I've done a bit of reading on Harry Hunsucker's uh, MMA record here. So his opponents have a combined 31 and 57 record of all of his victories. Only one of those came against the opponent with a winning record, which was the 4 and 3 Billy Big Sexy Swanson. Great nickname. Yes. I think uh, he might have fought for the PFL actually a couple of times. Yep. So, a lot of people are painting this one as a bit of a showcase fight for uh, Tyson Pedro. He is, at the moment, a minus 850 favorite, so he's the biggest favorite on the card. Most people think this one's going to end in the first round. Do you see it going that way? Yeah. Um, I will say this. Uh, he was finished twi or twice in the first round at heavyweight. And uh, unless that's like his natural weight and he just wasn't cutting at all, to make heavyweight, um, like if he was just kind of, that was like his walk around weight. Cutting weight does affect your durability. Um, like you take a look at uh, like Darren Till, who was able, who got rocked in his two last two fights at welterweight, cut a lot of weight to make that weight, and then at middleweight, he took shots from like some really tough big dudes, and yeah, it's, he's fine. Um, By weight, Dillashaw. That, yeah. Dillashaw went out with well, I mean he uh, Dillashaw went out because he took that uh, that haymaker of a head Henry Cejudo has, uh, but <laughs> that is a monstrous head. Mixed Tito, like I, I have a big one too. I you know definitely Mexican genetics with me Tito Ortiz and uh, Henry Cejudo, but man he puts us to shame. Uh, but still, like even then he he was still like hurt instantly from it. Um, Cutting weight does affect your ability, and I think that's uh, that could affect uh, Harry Hunsucker here. I'm going to be leaning towards Tyson Pedro in the first round. I think the UFC are wanting that as well, uh, based on the matchmaking. That being said, though, would it be the most UFC MMA thing in the world if Harry Hunsucker drops down to 205 and suddenly becomes this like powerhouse, unstoppable monster? He could be like Jared Cannonier, you know. It would work like Jared Cannonier. Yeah, Cannoneer, like, he could be at 185 in next year and be getting ready to fight out of Sonya. I mean, Cannoneer had losses at heavyweight and 205 before just hitting the mark and uh, at 185. Fight number two. Now, this one has, in my opinion, much better matchmaking. I actually think the UFC have done a really good job with this one. We're going up to the heavyweight division, and it's Marcin Tabura who is taking on Alexander King Kong Romanov, which has to be up there with one of the best nicknames in the UFC. Personally, though, with a surname like Romanov, he should have called himself the Tsar. 
Ah, I like that. That would yes. be good too. Yeah, I love my Russian history. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Betting odds for this one, they see this one being a lot more one-sided than I think it is. Romanov is a minus 360 favorite. You can get Tabura at plus 275. Um, now, Marcin Tabura, I'm going to give Tabura a lot of praise here because a lot of people forget this. Around 2002, not 2000, we're going back 21 years ago, around 2020 and 2021, the guy had actually put together a really good winning streak. He gets the match against Volkov. It's a bit of a bore, it has to be said. And now he's back in this sort of like top eight, top 10 gatekeeper role. He built that streak up though. And like losing the Volkov, I don't think is any, you know, knock against you. Um, I mean, he Volkov's uh, obviously a very, very talented guy. And he's going to be top five, probably until at the very end of his career at heavyweight. Um, you know, I'm honestly, what a crazy turnaround for him. Because it felt like just, not that long ago that he was like kind of just just a guy they would toss in to lose at heavyweight. Now, you know, he made a really big turnaround. And uh, I I don't think those odds were kind of shocking. me. That's the first time I heard him. Surprised. And, and a couple of decent wins in there as well. There's some quite big names on his resume. Walt Harris, Greg Hardy. That basically started the fall of Greg Hardy beating um, Martin Tabura, beating him in quite one-sided fashion. Ben Rothwell, Sergei Spivak. Uh, who's on great run of form as well, Spivak right now, Stefan Struve, Andrea Lossky, we mentioned him earlier on in the show. Pretty solid names. Yeah, uh, he broke Greg Hardy. Walt Harris, I think, is a quality name at heavyweight. Andrea Lossky, we, you know, we, we laugh about him, but he is still beating guys, like, just because, like, they're not the greatest fights, and he's going to do it until, you know, until the end of time, doesn't mean, like, he's not beating guys. Like, him beating guys is, makes him quality, and he's also a legend. Uh, great turnaround, I think, for him. But he is an underdog to Alexander Romanov. 16-0 in the UFC. A fearsome wrestling game. Some questions about his cardio. We saw Espino exploit that a little bit in their fight. Um, and you look at some of the guys he's beaten in the UFC. They're not the best fighters in the world. No offense. Like Chase Sherman, Jared Van Dever, Rogerio De Lima, Rocky Martinez. So... There is a lot of hype surrounding Romanov, but is this a bit of false hype? This is the first real test he's had. I think it's a little false hype. I thought Espino looked really good, and I think he kind of got hosed over a little bit in their fight uh, with it going to technical decision. I, I don't remember the foul exactly, but I remember going. I ah, that didn't look that bad. Like I think he, I think he gassed. It looked. It almost looked like Romanov gassed. And was like, I just can't fight anymore, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, but he did get the win. So, and I wasn't there. I wasn't the one that took the illegal shot. So, uh, and I wouldn't want to be. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a false hype for him. Uh, I think this is his first big, big test because Tibera is ranked. Um, but I think the, Espin uh, the Juan Espino fight definitely kind of, open some eyes at least to like where his ceiling potentially is one thing that can't be overlooked though when it comes to romanov though and part of the reason why he does have the hype though that wrestling and ground upon game vicious he like if he doesn't take you down in the center of the uh, center of the octagon he's pressing you to the cage and it feels like he's just flinging you to the ground or just pushing you over 
And when he's on top, uh, he is just smashing. And there, it's kind of hard getting his, uh, getting a guy of his build off of you, for sure. Yep. And this is going to be fascinating when it comes to Dubura because one of the big traits I've always known about Marcin Dubura, he's a bit of a, a bit of a jack of all trades. So his wrestling's okay, his uh, striking's pretty solid. I would say there's two things that really stand out for me. First, I've always known him to be quite a difficult guy to take down. Like a very mm. kick-heavy game, uh, which allows him to sprawl very well. I heard somebody compare him to sort of like a heavyweight Dennis Seaver in the way that he fights. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, I can see it. And the other big thing as well, for a man of his size, his left head kick is pretty solid. It's quick. Real quick. Uh, I, I have here in my notes... Uh... Uh, Tybura is the meat and, is like a kind of a meat and potatoes jack of all trades as well. Like he's not the fanciest guy out there. He can be, you know, like obviously like a left high kick is is quite fancy, but uh, you know it's it's very like he kind of almost whittles you down in the sense. I can say that's that. kind of how I interpret it. He kind of breaks you down and whittles you until it's just you know no moss, you know Roberto Duran style. A lot of people are framing this one as striker versus grappler. And like bearing in mind the sort of wrestling game that Romanov possesses, what would you say is Tabura's best strategy? Do you think he's going to try and like, keep it a distance, make it a bit of a point fight? I think the, the best line of attack for him is, is make it a point fight for about a round and a half and then start looking at how he's breathing. I think snap kicks up the middle uh, are going to be good. Kind of playing, keeping on the outside, of course, the snap kicks are great, but like hitting the body, his cardio is questionable. So the body is just putting money in the bank. And uh, once this guy starts getting kind of tired and you feel confident in stopping him from clinching up with you, you can kind of start pressing into him a little bit. Uh, but I think his style, I think Tiberius' style is naturally plays really well into Romanov. You know, this, he's going to whittle you down. Whose gas tank's better? It's, it's got to be mine and then eventually puts him away, I, I definitely can see that here. So you have to put your money where your mouth is. Who's winning this one, and how is it going to be done? Uh, I could see, I think it's going to be a Tibera decision. It's funny, I'm saying a decision for a heavyweight fight. But uh, Tibera's power and finishing, like, they are, he is a finisher, but I, I don't see him on like the level of like an insane finisher in my mind. I, I never do. Um and uh, I'll give Romanov the benefit of the doubt that he doesn't get put away, but I think he will lose. I'm going to pick Romanov to win this one by decision. With that being okay. said, though, I can see a situation where he uses his wrestling to win the first two rounds, and then the cardio issues maybe start coming to the fore. If Tabura is going to win this one, it's going to be in the third round, and it's going to be like an accumulation of strikes up against the fence, Herb Dean steps in, that sort of situation. I, I think that's the only way he finishes it realistically yeah. is that is that exact way that being said though we talk about Romanov's conditioning issues he did look a lot leaner against Chase Sherman that's right yeah that was his most recent fight wasn't it and uh I always think Espino was but no it was the Chase Sherman one he did look leaner uh because uh, you know he you know the king the name King Kong uh did, didn't have the body of King Kong for sure before but now you know he's leaned up so maybe his cardio is a lot better yeah, shave the head as well. Like the Moldovans, once they shave their head, they become powerhouse wrestlers. Like Sergei Spivak, he's been awesome yeah. since he. It's like the reverse Samson and Delilah. 
Yeah, it's the only way. To... Maybe I should do that. Hold on. <laughs> not Moldovan, though. It wouldn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and how refreshing is it as well to have a heavyweight gatekeeper fight that doesn't involve Derek Lewis? Oh, it's fantastic. Or Andre Arlovsky. Um, uh, I feel like we, I feel like I'm, I'm not trying to rag on Ar- Arlovsky, but uh, I see him a lot. I feel like. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm ex- I, I like seeing new fresh blood, fresh even though Turbur has been around forever. Uh, but I like seeing that in heavyweight, like light heavyweight and heavyweight are my two least favorite divisions. So luckily we get to open the card with some fresh name or fresher names uh, on this, which is great for those divisions. I think getting more, getting new eyes on new names is fantastic. Least uh, favorite real division. Cause I assume you're not including women's featherweight. That's a, I didn't even know that's a division. They need <laughs> rankings for me to acknowledge it. All right. I, you know, I think Macy Chasson may legitimately be the number one ranked women's featherweight right now. Cause she beat Norma DeMont, didn't she? She did, yeah. Oh, dude, she, she's number one. Then, yeah. State of that weight class. Poor Macy. She deserves so much better, but... Well, she is fighting Aldana next, though, so she's going to get a pay-per-view showcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of pay-per-view showcases, we move on to fight number three. Now, this one I am really, really looking forward to. It's the number three seed in the Bantamweight division who is taking on the number four. Jose Aldo taking on Mirab Dvalishvili. Betting odds for this one, it's too close to call. Mirab is a slight favorite at minus 120. Jose Aldo, you can get a plus 110. And I'm going to start off by saying this point. A lot of people forget this, but when he was the featherweight champion, it's safe to say Jose Aldo was a bit of an acquired taste. People used to consider him a bit of a point fighter. He didn't speak much English. Of course, 13 seconds happens. He becomes a bit of a figure of ridicule. But I think since moving to bantamweight... There seems to be a real reclamation of Aldo as this sort of like the grizzled veteran who's still showing these young kids how it's done. It's kind of weird because uh, I, I consider Aldo to be the best featherweight ever. I think he's uh, the featherweight goat. But I feel like if I said that, like maybe, uh, maybe like right around the time, like right before the Marias fight, I feel like people would have like disagreed with me, like hardcore. Where now. You know, I mean, obviously things have changed at featherweight. You know, Max isn't king anymore, but uh, I feel like now that's kind of like a common thing to be like, oh, yeah, it's Aldo still, you know, but it, it, it seems like his respect has just flown through the roof and it's made his career in retrospective even more respected uh, with this uprising he's had. I wonder if part of this is because we have to we can't beat around the bush jose aldo is now 37 years old and i think maybe part of the reason why fans are so appreciative is because you know he could very well say after his next loss you know what that's it i'm not going to be a champion again anytime soon i could very easily call it today and i think there's maybe a lot of people who are sort of getting behind him knowing it could be the last time yeah uh honestly like when i think about it um like in fight years, he's like eighty. You know, he he's been in wars. The both Max fights um, did a lot. Both both or at least the first Edgar fight took a lot out of him. And uh, then the Jan fight, the the Volkanovski fight. He he's been in a lot of wars, and uh, it's got to just add up. You know. I was going through his uh, list here. These are the people that Jose Aldo has beaten in his career. Rob Font, Cheeto Vera, which after uh, Saturday, that's a win which has aged very well. Pedro Munoz, Jeremy Stevens, Frankie Edgar twice, Chad Mendes twice, Ricardo Lamas, 
the Korean Zombie, Kenny Florian, Uriah Faber, Cub Swanson, and Mike Thomas Brown. You might know him as the coach now of ATT, but a very good fighter in his own right, WEC champion. That is a hell of a good portfolio. He he has probably the be- one of the better portfolios in current fighters now. Um, like of guys that are still active, his his hit list is unbelievable. He is facing, though, a very dangerous proposition here. Mirab Devalishvili, number four seed, a 14-4 record. Now, he did lose his first two fights in the UFC, but it's been seven in a row since. Uh, some of the names on his record include Mar- Marlon Marais, John Dodson, Cody Stearman, Casey Kenny, Brad Katona, and uh, one, if you know your UFC, your, not UFC, if you know your MMA outside of the UFC, He's the only person to beat Hafian Stotts, who's the current interim Bellator champion. Mm-hmm. And Piotr Jan gave him a lot of crap for it on Twitter. That's, uh, I think that was a lot of people's first introduction to Marab's name, sadly. Yeah. Which is a real shame as well, because if you look at the guy and the way he fights... Now, normally I'm not... I, admittedly, I'm not someone who enjoys very grappling-heavy fighters, sort of wall installers... I make an exception for Murab because the guy's cardio and constant pace is something to behold. Like, this guy just will not stop going. He reminds me of uh, Matush Gamrot at 155, but at bantamweight form, so it's better. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, what would you say are the big strengths when it comes to Murab? What are the big things that stand out for you outside of the wrestling? He is insanely durable. Uh, like he, he never quits. His cardio is great. Like you mentioned, uh, very fast paced in terms of like his attack. He, he gets at it quick cause you know, all bantamweights are awesome in that. But that Mariah's fight, he was near knocked out two or three times. And I, if I was a ref, I would have stepped in and cost this guy a fight because he took it all, got knocked down, but you know, kept bouncing back up. And just kept I going, and then he turned it around. Yeah, I, I, I tried so hard not to make that reference. Chumba Wumba. I caught myself. Yeah, I caught myself, and I went, no, no, stop, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, but he's super durable and super tough. Um, I think that, and that that's huge. I think that's great in this matchup, is particular the fact that you can take a shot and you're still going to keep coming. That's fantastic in this matchup. Yep. Great use of corner cutting as well. Um, As mentioned before, the cardio is fantastic. I believe he holds the record for the most takedowns ever in a bantamweight fight. That's that's awesome. For a second, I thought were going to say ever, ever, and I went, he beat 21. But, okay, bantamweight fight still, but that's still insane. There's a lot of great wrestlers at bantamweight. And I think it's going to be safe to say he's going to try and utilize a wrestling-heavy game against somebody who is as good of a striker as Jose Aldo. Where this could get interesting, though, is one of the things we always knew about Jose Aldo, especially when he was the featherweight champion, impeccable takedown defense. The Probably, in terms of showiness, the flashiest takedown defense ever, for as, as good as it was. I, I remember him throwing... Uh, Chad Mendez, like Chad Mendez would grab a single, be deep on it, and he'd, you know, pop his hips out, get get his legs in and throw him off to the side when they were fighting in Brazil, their first fight. It's insane. His, his takedown defense is incredible. 
And of course, his striking's up there as well. We all know what he did to Uriah Faber's legs, so his leg kicks are going to be a big weapon for him, especially in someone like Mirab, who's obviously going to be trying to shoot. The power might be a bit of a concern. Like, in my opinion, the one thing that the Marlon Marias fight did show with Mirab is, as tough as he is, he can get caught on the feet and he can get rocked. And I just mm -hmm. don't think that Jose Aldo has that level of power to cause him those same issues. I think he could, uh, but Marias definitely has more power in, in the division. Um you know, because you, you do lose power when you cut down to 35, uh, like Aldo has. But I still think he can, based on the Rob Font fight, where every time he hit Font with something clean, it, it looked like someone shot Font out of a cannon. And I, so I think he still has that power. I, it's not the same level as Marias, probably, but he, he still has something there, for sure. I think. I'm trying to think. Aldo's last finish would have been, I think, Jeremy Stevens. Yeah. No, uh, Moicano. He, of course, he, yes. Yeah, he KO'd Moik Hanato Moicano, like, right after. Yeah, because I remember he, he went into the Volkanovski fight, and a lot of people were thinking he's going to get himself another uh, fight against uh, Max, but then, of course, Volkanovski yeah. was Volkanovski. Yeah, uh, kind of a coming-out party. If you didn't buy into the Volkanovski hype at the Mendez fight, you bought it after the Aldo fight. Bantamweight is in a very interesting situation right now because obviously Aljo versus TJ is going to be taking place at UFC 280. Uh, Cheeto Vera, of course, won on the Saturday. Uh, Sean O'Malley is going to be taking on Piotr Jan, and you've got this fight as well. You've got a lot of connotations of what potentially could be the next Bantamweight fight, title fight after Aljo versus TJ. Do you see the winner of this one jumping the queue? I don't see Marab, but I see Aldo getting it because I, uh, as bad as that sounds, um, uh, Aldo's a star. He's a big name. I can see him jumping the queue. In, in fact, I, and for me, I wouldn't even consider jumping the queue. I think he should have got it already. Uh, I think he should have got it over TJ personally. And also as well, we, we know that the UFC usually makes grappling heavy fighters jump a few more hoops than a flashy striker with a big name. So there's that problem. But also as well, Marab and Aljo are teammates. And I think, yeah, that's I, think right. I remember reading somewhere that Aljo said that if it, he was left in a situation where he had to fight Marab, he would give up the belt, go to featherweight, and Marab would fight for a vacant title. That's I, I never thought about that. Yeah. Because they're both uh, be Sarah trained, aren't they? Yeah. Both out of a... Uh... I think that's just i think it's sarah longo that's the name of it i was like what's the name of it it's sarah longo yeah so it's crazy money where your mouth is marab or aldo i got aldo winning uh i think he i, I'm, I don't want to say dominates i think he wins clean i think he wins clean here uh, i think his i think when you styles make fights and when you look at their styles uh, i think aldo has the striking advantage uh and i think he avoids this takedown for three rounds I think a prime Jose Aldo will win this fight, but a 37-year-old Aldo who's making the cut to bantamweight, I'm going to lean towards Marab. I can see 29-28, but I think Marab's going to get the decision. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think I think this fight is very close. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think the odds being pick em makes sense, but I, I do think Aldo uh, is, in my opinion, my favorite going in. 
I'm feeling really awkward, you know, because we just seem to be disagreeing on all the results. <laughs> like, we've been so distant lately, too. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I think it was something you said to me on Twitter. I'm going to blame that. Oh, yeah. What have I done? <laughs> Four main event time now. Now, this one is a real wild card fight. I am very interested to see which way this one goes because Paulo Costa is going to be back in action. He always fights once a year. This is his obligatory one fight in the UFC. And he's taking on a name who is a real blast from the past. Luke Rockhold is back in action for the first time since UFC 239. He, of course, had that attempt to try and move up to light heavyweight, which I've got my own personal opinions on. We'll get to that. Bookmakers for this one, Paulo Costa is a minus 285 favorite. Luke Rockhold, you can get a plus 220. We're going to start with this question for you, Joe. When people talk about Luke Rockhold, the first thing they immediately mentioned is his chin. But if you look at the guys who've knocked him out, if we exclude Michael Bisping, who hit him with like the perfect punch, mm -hmm. TRT Vitor, Jan Blachowicz, and Joel Romero, are people yeah. maybe being a bit harsh in saying that Rockhold's chinny? Um... Maybe I I've, I've thought that too. When Jan became champ, I went. It kind of made me rethink this whole thing, and I'm sure that's where you're gonna go with at, at your 205 thoughts with him. But one thing I noticed because I've been watching, I've been binging Strikeforce a lot lately, and I watched this fight with Keith Jardine. Keith Jardine has the ugliest striking game ever, and he's tagging Luke Rockhold. He's always been hittable, for sure, Luke Rockhold. Chinny, maybe harsh, but I don't know. I, he's at least always been very hittable. Like, I've always been of the belief, and I'm in a minority about this, I wasn't against the idea of Rockle going up to 205, because he is a massive middleweight, and the cut was getting hard for him, so I think moving up to that extra 205, I think would have done him the world of good. Where I think he made the mistake, though was bulking up too much. Like, the guy looked like 90s Mark Coleman, just like his arms <laughs> were just ridiculous. And he ended up gassing himself out. <laughs> that is the most accurate description. I, I never put those two and two together. I now picture Rockhold bouncing around in pride, falling over the ropes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I was really excited for him at 205. Um, I remember hearing it going... Or that's not a good idea. Then I thought, then I kind of thought about it. And in terms of skill, Luke Rockhold has to be one of the, on paper, one of the best fighters ever. A fantastic striker, explosively powerful kicks, and like a legit S tier, God tier level grappling game. Um, and so him at 205 sounds great in a division where everyone has one specialization. And maybe they're good at a couple other things. Rockhold being very good at everything sounds great, but he was definitely too big, and he, I think, a hundred percent overlooked Jan, like ninety percent of us at the time did. Yeah, in fairness. And you look at some of the people that Luke Rockhold has beaten in his career. A lot of people like try and paint him as and never was. Chris Weidman, Leoto Machida, Michael Bisping first time around, Tim Kennedy. Jacare Souza. Yeah. And uh, Jacare Souza was like his coming out party. He beat Jacare 
when Jacare was like, if if you weren't talking about Anderson or Chris Weidman or Chael Sonnen even at the time, you were talking about Jacare at middleweight. And he beat him clean, clean as a whistle, uh, definitely clear winner. He beat him. No one knew who Luke Rockhold was unless you fought, unless you knew you grew up in like Southern Cal over like around AKA and stuff. You didn't really know who he was and he showed up. Uh, he's also beaten like the, the Machida one was crazy. Uh, he, he finished Machida at middleweight. Um, he beat up Tim Bosch like a lot of people were because Tim Bosch at the time was like the, the gatekeeper at middleweight. But how he did it was so clean and just unbelievable. He had him in a a, a mounted reverse triangle and then just Kamora'd him for fun. It. What do you think of the UFC's decision to book him against Paulo Costa? Because we all talk about Rockhold's sort of troubles and how he's been away from the uh, sport for a long time. Paulo Costa, like, especially around the time of the Marvin Vittori fight, there was a lot of people thinking, is this guy mentally in the right place? He was being quite bizarre on social media. There was a whole thing about wanting the fight moved to 205, which eventually happened. He does seem a lot more focused this time around, but there is still that niggling thought of, is this guy the same sort of marauder that uh, went toe-to-toe with Yoel Romero and came out on top? I, I think the matchmaking is weird for the first part. It feels kind of cruel to Rockhold. Like, ah, we have questions about your chin. Let's put you against Paulo Costa. Hey, why? But at the same time, yeah, Costa did seem a little off going into the Vittori fight, uh, even though it had some of my favorite pre-fight moments of, like, we made a deal. He's supposed to come in on time, come in on weight. Well, that's your problem. Like, I, <laughs> ridiculous, but... Uh, there was times in that Vittori fight where Paulo Costa looked insane, but he was just outworked and couldn't break Marvin Vittori's orc from Lord of the Rings chin. Like, he has the most ridiculous chin in that weight class. I think, like, Marvin Vittori is criminally underrated in this division. He's he's legit. Like, he, he is sloppy, doesn't have the best striking, and his wrestling looks awkward, but he wins, and he gets you down, and he beats you. Like, and he just has a better cardio than most guys at the division. And his chin is unbelievable. He looks, he may look like the orc from the Hobbit trilogy. And he did wear those shorts backwards like Jamie Malarkey did. But that doesn't mean he can't fight. Like, you know, he can still go. He's, he's fantastic. And, uh, you know, the Costa fight proved it, you know. I mean, because Vittori rattled off and got a title shot not long after the Costa fight, right? Um, a big thing that stands out for me when it comes to Paulo Costa um, you look at his record 12 wins by stop 12 of his 13 wins have come by stoppage 11 of them by KO I think there was a run before I think the Uriah Hall fight happy retirement Uriah by the way where I think every one of his fights was finished in the first round and but it wasn't like he was this big sort of one shot knockout artist he wasn't Yuel Romero the way he was doing it which I think is one of his biggest strengths, pressure. He will just come forward all the time, back you up against the fence, and then tee off on you. His fight, uh, this was my debut with him because I, I, I didn't watch the, the tough Brazil fights where he first showed up. But my, my like debut for him was, um, like seeing him fight live, was Johnny Hendricks, another Oklahoma boy like me. And uh, that is... I think still to this day, the, the blueprint for like, how does Costa fight that fight? 
He stalks you and he blasts you with hard body kicks. If you move to his right, if you move to his left, you're walking into a left hook. Next thing you know, you're cornered, you know, kind of like how Matt Brown did uh, during his like great run at 170 years back. He corners you and then just blasts you with bombs. And they might not all put you out, but you're going to feel every one of them. Great body work, great shots to the head. And that second that one catches you, you're going down. He he hits like a truck, but he has just fantastic pressure. But he does have a tendency to get caught coming in. That is something we have seen a lot of people do. Like you mentioned the Johnny Hendricks fight, which, yes, it was one-sided. But where Johnny did have a lot of success was when Paulo was coming in and he was able to tag and then move out the way. Adesanya caught him in the same way. Um, Uel Romero also dropped him as well. Uriah Hall dropped him, which a lot of people forget. Yeah. So... I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him like glass chinned or anything like that, but he, he can be a little bit careless for his own good. Yeah. When you walk in, it, it's like uh, it's like thinking of like a car crash, you know, uh, a car running into a wall is devastating, but a, a car running into a car coming its way is even worse. And that's how you have to think about it when you're stepping in to a guy who's countering you like that and. Uh, Rockhold definitely does have a counter striking game that's very good. That is something that Costa has to be a little worried about for sure. And the body kicks as well. Because if Costa oh, yeah. has the same cardio issues that we saw against Joel Romero, a guy like Rockhold, who just hammers the body with his kicks, he can exploit that. He knocked out Costas Philippou back when that was a name that was very, very much respected at middleweight. And uh, he also has... Uh, Rockhold has the best looking question mark kick. Tough luck, Holly Home. It's Rockhold has the best looking one uh, ever. And the body kicks are definitely a way those get set up. Uh, so that's something that Costa has to think about. There's a lot of threats that Rockhold still has. He, he could be this proverbial glass cannon, but Costa can't treat him because there's still a cannon at the end of that. For me, this fight is going to be based on how rusty Luke Rockhold looks. That's a, yeah. Is this going to factor into who you're picking to win this one? Uh, I I think talking with you, kind of breaking things down, has get, has opened the door for me to lean towards the Rockhold a little bit more. But I think if Costa comes in shape, I, for, I have this theory that he's going to do the same thing he did to Vittori, that fight, I, I this co-main event's going to be at heavyweight this time too. <laughs> uh, I, I, man, after that craziness last year, I just expect it from now. I want Costa to prove me wrong. If he comes in in shape, motivated, uh, then he's got this. But if he had way too much fun flirting with Kay Hansen on Twitter, then Rockhold could definitely keep him out for three rounds, and maybe we could even see the grappling. Of Costa, which we haven't really seen. I, I would love to see Rockhold try and grapple. Rockhold's grappling is honestly the best part of his game. I agree totally. And we were mentioning before about the middleweight division and how part of the reason Alex Pereira is getting a title fight is because the division is so short of contenders. We could maybe mm. say if Luke Rockhold comes in, beats Paulo Costa with a grappling heavy style, you could put him right back into the title picture. Maybe not immediately, but another win or so against someone like a, a Whitaker or a Vittori. He's right there. 
Oh yeah, if he if he wins this fight definitively, they're going to throw him into a number one contenders fight ASAP. Because like, it's a name as well. Yeah, he's a former champion. He's a new name, and he's a big name. I could see them giving him Rob like right after this. Yeah, I think. Is it going to happen though? Is Luke Rockhold winning this fight? I don't think so. I I <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I want to. I want to believe X Files style. I want to believe. Because uh, I, I, I don't like Luke Rockhold, the person, technically. Uh, it's kind of awkward to me. But as a fighter, which is what I'm trying to judge it off here, he is fantastic. And I love watching him fight. Um, and I would love it if he beat Rockhold. I would love it if the old Costa from the, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, from the Yoa Romero fight showed up. You know, I, I love I, that I, fight. I absolutely I, adore that fight. Uh, but- that fight. And uh, Uriah, Uriah Faber, Jose Aldo are like the two fights I show like casual friends that want to get into fighting. I show them those two fights. Because I remember, uh, I remember I was telling some of my friends about UFC 241. And obviously they had sort of like a passing interest. Oh, Nate Diaz is back in action and there's a heavyweight title fight. And I was telling people, forget those two. You're well remember versus Paulo Costa is going to be an absolute war. And it proves I, so. It's it's insane, and I always think of uh, shout out to Jack Slack. He called it the juiciest fight he's ever seen, and it is. <laughs> Those guys are on something, and um, it it was unbelievable. It was everything I've ever hoped for and more. Like, that, my- that, the head kick still is just an incredible image. One of my favorite uh, jokes, you know, like obviously there's this sequence where Costa drops Romero. And then Romero starts pointing and like Costa looks that way and then drops him. And I always like that joke. Look, you saw that, huh? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. And Vanderlei Silva instantly saw that and got in a car and drove off. <laughs> As John Jones was under the ring. Main oh, event yeah. time. We're going to be talking about the welterweight division. The welterweight title is on the line on this one. Kamara Usman, our long-reigning champion, he faces a familiar four in the form of Britain's Leon Edwards. So, betting odds for this one. The two men first fought back in December 2015, which I believe was on the Fight Night Orlando card. Dos Anjos versus Cowboy 2. Uh, and for that fight, Kamara Usman was a minus 230 favourite. You get Leon Edwards at plus 210. Uh, this time around, the gap has widened. Kamara Usman is now a minus 360 favourite. If you are backing Leon, it's plus 270. Uh, we ran the poll on the INC YouTube page. Now, originally, it was fairly close, about 57% to 43 uh, when it first opened in favour of Kamaru. That gap has widened, and now it's 68% for Kamara Usman to win this one. And I was doing a little bit of research just to put this into context of the first time that these two fought on that Fight Night Orlando card. So these are some of the things that happened on that show. So in our core main event, we had Alistair Overeem taking on JDS. Uh, Michael Johnson took on Nate Diaz. And Nate, of course, made that call out of Conor McGregor, which ended up transforming his career. Uh, And the UFC debuts of Francis Ngannou and Valentina Shevchenko. Wow. That's a... That's a more happening card than I remember it being. Because I always remember that card for the main event and for uh, the Nate Diaz call-out. Wow. Just makes you think how how quickly time's flown by and how good Fox yeah. cards used to be. I miss I, I kind of miss Fox cards. But I, I guess I shouldn't complain when uh, 
I uh, I get to watch a fight every weekend practically. And from a British perspective, um, it's a big one for us here in the UK because Leon Edwards will become only the fourth British fighter to compete for a UFC title. Uh, the other three being Dan Hardy up against GSP at UFC 111, Michael Bisping who got the job done at UFC 199 up against Luke Rockhold, and Darren Till who lost to Tyron Woodley at UFC 228. So given those other three names, where would you say Leon's chances lie? Would you say he has more or less of a chance than those three? Um, I guess I'm just going to say it, uh, uh, out front. Uh, he's the fourth, you said, right? Yeah. Uh, the four, he's about to be the second champion, I think actually, uh, behind Visping. I, I think I, I think his chances are huge here. And I, what I think you, he's got a, I think he's got a great shot here. And what would you say the big things that you're seeing from Leon Edwardson makes you think that he's got a chance? Well, Add a little bit of context here, 19 and 3 record. His last win came against Nate Diaz at USC 263. So we could very well get a situation coming up where the next three UFC Worldweight title challenges all beat Nate Diaz to get their title <laughs> shot. Oh, Lord, what a what a world we live in. Um Yeah, I, I so Leon for 24 minutes looked unstoppable against Nate Diaz. I blacked out and forgot that last minute. So, uh, and I'm, I know Leon did too, but, uh, <laughs> take my little shot when I can. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I think the big thing here is if you look at how they've both progressed, I'm, I'm always, when it comes to rematches, I always look at who has leveled up the most since then. Right. And you could argue that Usman has leveled up the most, but I'm going to say that Usman did, but it, it kind of started plateauing. I, I think his knees are very badly shot. And, and while his striking has improved leaps and bounds, I think it's starting to aggress a little bit. Um, his striking in the Colby fight was great for one round. In the second round, he smelt blood and went for the finish and got a 10-8 round, I thought. But in those last three rounds, I don't know if it was emotion where he kind of punched himself out and, or like just angry emotion because he wanted to knock him out so bad. He's just swinging for the fences left and right. But I, I didn't think it looked great in those last three rounds for sure. And, um, it, you know. and somebody made a really good point when it came to Kamara Usman striking. Now, I share the same sentiment as you. If you compare Kamara Usman striking on his road to the UFC title, and what he's doing now with Trevor Whitman, who I still rate very highly as a coach, it is leaps and bounds difference. Like the fact he has so much confidence in his stand-up ability, um, and he's become one of the most, dare I say, one of the most exciting champions to watch in the UFC because of that striking. Yeah. But someone did point out it's a very counter-attacking style, mm. uh, which, when you look at the first fight with Leon Edwards, the way that Usman beat Edwards was pressure. So you've got mm. these two contrasts. Is Usman going to go back to being the grappling heavy fighter that's just going to back Leon up against the fence and take him down multiple times? Or is he going to stick to the Whitman game plan and maybe turn this into a stand-up fight? And if it does, we know how good Leon Edwards can be. Yeah. I, I think Whitman's the best striking coach in MMA right now. I think when you look at his roster of talents and you go... Wow, that's you. I think there's an argument for all of them being 
at least in the top five strikers of their, of their division. Maybe not so much Usman, but uh, I think the argument is there for him being a, a top five striker in his own division. Um, but, you know, like Sanhagen, Gaethje, Rose, uh, there, there's a lot. There's a lot there for him uh, at, uh, to learn from Trevor Whitman, and he's been learning a ton. But I, I think, you know, Masvidal was, was losing, but he was doing very well in the striking and actually outstriking him, I felt like, before the big KO. Um, Colby, I th- I think, made it a draw because I thought he won the last three rounds, which was all in the striking. Leon is a very good striker, very methodical and very technical striker. I think, I think that's, I think I could see him just giving so many problems for him. And Usman's going to, Usman's going to struggle to get that grappling going. It's going to be too late before it even happens. Cause I, I feel like he, he adjusted incredibly well against Gilbert Burns, but he didn't seem to adjust too well in the Colby fight. And that's his, that's his last fight. But I, I think that still means something. I, I was actually thinking about this. If we take out the first Masvidal fight, so we're looking at Masvidal 2, the two Colby matches, and Gilbert Burns. How many takedowns has Kamara Usman gone for during that time? I think it's actually zero. I, <laughs> I, I don't think he would want to take down Burns. Burns is a, you know... As much as I hyped up all the other grapplers on this card, Burns is without grapple them all. Um, Burns is an incredible jujitsu player, and um, I don't think he, I think he, I think he shot one in the first. I think he took uh, Mossfield down in the in the second fight in the first round. I think, um, but and I don't think he he didn't. I know he didn't shoot a single takedown against Colby. I I think one. I think it's the one. I think it's the Mas- second, first round in the second Masvidal fight, and that's the only one which he was able to do. We yeah. are we are maybe sort of downplaying the abilities of Kamara Usman. And if you yeah. are an Usman fan, I do apologize. We're not trying to crap on him by any means. This is up there as being one of the best welterweights of all time. So a 21 Absolutely. record, win over Colby Covington first time around. Here's some of the notable guys he's beaten. Not only Leon Edwards in the first fight, Sean Strickland, Damian Meyer, RDA, Tyron Woodley, which he dominated to get that belt. Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal twice, Colby Covington twice. Yeah. I think putting him at the same level of GSP is a bit much, and I have seen a lot of journalists doing that online. But what would you say? Is he better than Matthews? Uh, I, I want to he- say I wasn't trying to crap on him as well. I, I do want to say that as well. I, I, I just had to you know, kind of give some information on why I'm kind of leaning towards Leon. But, and I, but I also want to stress that again, when I say I don't have him above Hughes, I, I have Hughes too. Uh, obviously if they fought, you know, in their primes versus primes, I am absolutely picking Usman to win. Um, but that's not how I like view my number two greatest. I, I think Hughes is the number two greatest, but I do have Usman at three. Now I have Usman at three. Now I used to have Lawler at three. But now I have Usman. Uh, just going off on a tangent, when it comes to these sort of like different generational sort of greatness arguments, which I don't like doing, by the way, because I think it just yeah. creates too many uh, disputes online. I always say that, yes, a guy who fights in the modern day would likely beat their equivalent of, say, 2004, 2005. But mm-hmm. 
if you give the guy from 2005 modern training de techniques, modern cu cutting methods, that sort of thing, how good could they be? And in my opinion, Matthews fighting in the modern era would still be one of the best fighters. Exactly. Yeah. Like, could you imagine like Matthews with like Trevor Whitman levels of striking? Man, uh, he he had a passable striking game too. Time just kind of caught up to him, you know. Whenever like what was passable for him wasn't passable whenever he lost the belt. Um, but like, man, he he would still be like a top three guy now, if not champ. Now, if he had if he started fighting in like 2010, you know, made his debut in 2010. Yeah, absolutely. He'd be a household name still, you know, and GSP would be unbeaten with 54 and 0. <laughs> We're proper rewriting history here. There should be like a, like sort of like a, a KFEB MMA channel, something like that. Oh, just, yeah. Like these sort of like uh, what if lines and we just come off like on these different random um, situations. Uh, I think Gage brought that up. He, uh, or the new editor, he said we should do a, a cracks in space time. Like, what if Dominic Cruz never uh, lost two legs and had to get them surgically repaired? Well, there you go. There's some new ideas. If you donate to Patreon, we might very well get that one done. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's get this back on topic, though. Leon Edwards, uh, 19 and three record, unbeaten. In every fight since then, that includes the no contest against Bilal, uh, Goody Nelson, Nate Diaz, RDA, Donald Cerrone, Brian Barbarena, Vicente Luque. Some pretty solid wins there. When it comes to what I most like about Leon Edwards, you mentioned before that sort of meat and potato sort of fighter. I think Leon Edwards is that guy for me. Like he's striking, solid. Wrestling, solid. Where he does stand out though, is clinch work. I love... What he does more differently to everyone else, in my opinion, if you look at that sort of X-Factor Leon Edwards has, he'll get himself into positions on the clinch, and he showed this especially against RDA. And as they release, he'll use that to throw the elbow in. I think he dropped Gunny mm -hmm. Nelson using the same technique. So that's and he his... beat up Donald Cerrone with it. He's very clever in the way he uses the clinch, which you don't see all that much in modern MMA. Yeah. He's the most active elbower in modern MMA right now. Uh, in like the stand-up, like he he elbows a ton. I know everybody loves to say like Tony Ferguson, who has the best elbows, like in terms of spectacular, the, the spectacular fashion. But I think Edwards, if there's a stat for it, Edwards has to be the most active elbower in MMA. He'll he'll be in a double underhook, and he'll try and fight for wrist control on his on the overhook side, and from there he'll launch knees to like the gut, like right in the solar plex. And if the opponent goes, I don't want to take these knees anymore and tries to escape, he'll elbow you on the way out if he's not already elbowing you already at that point. I think it's safe to say that for whatever reason, Leon Edwards seems to be a bit of a a bit, bit of a figure of ridicule, unfortunately, among a lot of MMA fans. Like he gets it from the Colby fans, the Nate Diaz fans, the Usman fans, the Masvidal fans. There's a lot of fan bases that seem to really have it in for him. If Leon Edwards was to win this fight, would this finally be the moment where people sit up and say, you know what, regardless of what I think of him from like a personality perspective, job well done, applause. Is that going to happen? Is he finally going to win people over? Or does it have to be the method he wins? I think 
if he wins, if he wins the way I think he will, which is by, by decision, if he wins by decision, because he isn't a big finisher, um, I, I I could see there being like a honeymoon period of like two weeks where we go, ah, oh, that's so good, so awesome for Rocky Edwards, like Leon Rocky Edwards, it's fantastic, and then uh, then like right after that, it's like remember that time he nearly got knocked out by. Nate, or then it'll be like, remember that when he got the three piece in the soda? Like, it's going to instantly cut back to that, I think. Um, but if he wins insanely early, insanely dominant, and just vicious fashion, I think people will be a little worried to say about that. I think that honeymoon honeymoon experience kind of gets tossed into another couple months. It, it extends it. When it comes to Kamara Usman, um, you mentioned before you currently have him number three in your greatness ranking. Yeah. We don't know how much longer Kamaru Usman is going to be in the sport. And, and one of the reasons why I'm personally picking Leon Edwards is because I think 35 years old, maybe with one eye out the door, he's commented on his knees a couple of times. So it's one of the reasons why I'm rooting for Leon Edwards. But let's say Kamaru Usman wins this fight and then beats Shemaev and then walks away with the belt. Does this change your perception of him? He's number two at that point. Yeah. Uh, if he beats Edwards, he's. I, I'm gonna look at him. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna probably end up tying him and Hughes. But if he beats, you know that dreaded Voldemort name for you, Shemaev. I hate him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't want to bring him up. I, I I intentionally try not to. But uh, if he beats him then yeah, he's number two. No question. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to beat GSP for me. I think GSP, by, for for the record, is the greatest ever. Like, And I have a hard time thinking we'll see someone like that in our lifetime, or at least for the next 10 years or so. I'll be shocked. But um, yeah, he'll be number two for me if he, if he beats these two. Cause uh, the thing, cause no the question. Because the thing with GSP is... Like a lot of people just say, like, look at the number. It's the number of defenses. It's the defenses and the lack of vulnerability he showed during his title vein. Like he was fifty fortifying everyone. Like I, think, I can only think of like two times he looked vulnerable during his his reign, which was Johnny Hendricks fight, which in my opinion he lost. I scored round one for Hendricks, and the other one was uh, the Carlos Condit head kick, and he still yeah. came back and won that round. So yeah, those it, are the factors which, bear in mind, that's why for me, I personally think GSP is number one as well. Oh yeah, I, I, when you look at like a GSP, <clears throat> you you go, okay, well if I if where's his where's his weakness at? Is it his jujitsu? He's 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 out grappling jujitsu guys. Well, is it his wrestling? He started wrestling at like twenty two, and he's the best wrestler in MMA history. Uh, is it his striking? No, he has the best jab in MMA. Like he's got, he's got great kicks. He, and it, he has a lot of names. He, and he smoked them all. Like the only thing, the only weakness of his isn't even a fault, like a fault of his really. That's it's whatever is he wasn't that exciting. Sometimes he could be a snore, but that's not his fault. You know, at the end of the day, it's, he's doing his job. He was untouchable. It, it's insane. So it's time for you to become Gianni the Greek. Where are you putting your money for this one? Who's winning this fight? How is it going to happen? Who 
Excuse me. I, it just adds to the drama. Was, was, Don't worry. I know that that was the MMA lords telling me I made a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I, I do have Leon winning this fight. I think. I think the knees are the big reason why. Uh, and I, I feel, and I feel kind of bad saying that. Like when I think about it, because uh, in my mind, I feel like Leon wins because Usman is naturally slowing down because of his age. And I, I don't like how that sounds in my head, but I am I am picking Leon to win. Uh, that being said, this fight is still really close on paper. Usman has the power advantage. Uh, Edwards has the speed advantage, but the explosive advantage, like the the quickness and that that pop, is definitely Usman still, uh, even with his knees. So I could definitely see Usman winning by a finish, but I do think it will be a uh, a five round decision for Edwards. I'm going to say this. I'm going to try and cover my bases here. I've said, like, Kamara Usman should rightly deserve to be the favorite. Bookmakers have him as that. Uh, people, the punters online have him as that. But the line should be a lot closer than it is. And there is an avenue for Leon Edwards to win this fight. I 100% agree. Yeah. And I've just started losing my voice. <laughs> it's the same as you. It's like the MMA gods saying, oh, you're making the wrong call here, Carl. Yeah, uh, maybe, you know what, change mind to Usman winning, I, I, something, <laughs> some, something's wrong in the air, it's storming here now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that is the sort of surreal note that we are ending the UFC 278 preview show on. Uh, Joe, you are going to be making your monthly invasion onto the main channel, so it's going to be one of your retro reviews. We sort of touched on it before, we gave the nomination, it was going to be a British fighter, in a title fight for a major promotion. So we gave them four nominations, UFC 111, UFC 199, UFC 228, and Strikeforce Diaz versus Daly. Time to reveal which one was our victor. Uh, it was UFC 199 with Michael Bisping, Luke Rockhold. Yep, quite appropriate with Luke Rockhold being on this card as well. It fits. It, it uh, and I'm sure Bisping's gonna be. I I hope now that I say it, I really hope Bisping's commentating, and so we could see believe achieve, uh, for Rockhold. Oh. They're friends now, though. They They're are actually, friends now. It loses a yeah. lot of the luster, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. It's still probably like in my top five lines ever. Uh, I, I when researching for the retro review, I realized that Bisping has to be a top three talker in MMA history. Like. He, that is still one of the best lines I've ever heard in my entire life. So that's what you can look forward to on the main channel on the Wednesday. And we hope that people do tune in for, for the retro reviews because it does take a lot of work from our own end to put it all together. Uh, we know that some of the viewer numbers maybe aren't as high as ideally we would like. I know that a lot of content creators on YouTube are really struggling right now. So I'm going to put it down to that. But if you can support the channel in any way you can do, uh, please do so. Uh, Patreon. Twitter, Facebook, you name it, we've probably got it covered. Uh, Joe will obviously have his own irreverent takes on what's happening in the MMA world. Uh, what's your Twitter handle, Joe? It's at LocoJoe7. Uh, I'm trying to tweet more and more, uh, but uh, instead of just being the guy who silently judges everyone else's tweets. <laughs> but uh, I, I do try to be active. Feel, feel free to follow me and tweet at me even. You know, you can even critique critique me if you really want. Yeah, chronologically fatigue. Yeah, exactly. 
Like at 1942, you uh, you scratched your nose and it was awkward on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so a big thank you to everyone who has been tuning in. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. Joe's going to get himself to bed because it's very late over where he is. I'm going to try and get this all spliced down so it will be online for tonight. Uh, Retro Review is coming on the Wednesday. I've still got that to do. And once again, thank you very much for tuning in. This is the INC. Thank you very much for watching.